This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Are you happy? What does happiness mean to you? Are you good with change? Do you feel like something is happening? It's not what happens to you. It's how you handle what happens to you that matters. And that is associated with your happiness. I'm going to address that amongst other subjects here on the Sunny Night Health Show, a show about health, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, and yes, 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 even sexual, uncovering what lies beneath the sheets. Good evening. I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse, sexual health educator, author of the book Sex and Health, a blogger at Fifty Shades of Pink and Huffington Post, a clinician, TEDx speaker, and your resource to help start that conversation, answer your questions, and help you live life to the fullest. I have a passion for up-to-date and accurate health information to guide you so that your life is the best it can be. I make no innuendos, no judgments, and certainly no apologies. Just fearless, straight-up nurse talk. Hopefully for you, it will be educational, enlightening, and fun. So please stay with me. Do put the kitties to bed as listener discretion is advised. Remember, we're going under the covers. A gentle reminder that if you do have any health issues, this program serves only as a guide. So please do discuss any medical concerns with your health care provider. Now that you've got the kids into bed, hopefully, do grab your wine, your lover, if you've got one, and let's talk. Good evening, Andrew. How are you? I'm all right. I've oh. got jasmine green tea tonight. Jasmine green. Last week it was orange pico. Last week it was orange pico. <laughs> this, I think I'm going to stick to the jasmine green tea wagon. Now, always the educator. You know that green tea is a bit of a diuretic. Yep. And uh, and a bit of a bladder irritant as well. So if you're rushing off to the <laughs> bathroom getting overactive bladder. <laughs> I've, I've trained for this. Okay, excellent. <laughs> I'll be okay. Thank you, though. <laughs> I'm so glad. You're so welcome. Nobody is. It's all about the learning. It's all about the education. Absolutely. Sharing the knowledge. And uh, no subject is too embarrassing, even overactive bladder of my tech producer. They happen. The potential. They <laughs> happen. <laughs> to men as well. It, it's, not, it's not only a woman thing. It isn't. It, 16.6% of men have overactive bladder. 16%? Points, yeah. You even got it to the, to the to tenth the point. decimal Absolutely. point. Absolutely. I do. I do. <laughs> and the men out there are cheering me on right now from the throne. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. Nonetheless. Uh, we have lots of subjects to cover tonight. So if you'd like to give me a call, the number to call, if you're local, is 604-280-9898. That's 604-280-9898. Or if you're long distance, 1-877-399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. You can always email me. I love your emails. I'm going to be sharing some of those that I received this week. With you tonight, the email is nursetalk at hotmail.com. You can always go to my website, Back to the Bedroom, and complete the contact form if you like as well. So I make it very easy for you. It's good to be easy. Okay, so we're also going to be talking about something that's not so easy. How much exercise should new moms get once after the baby is born, and how important is that? Well, Tamara Narrator, a pelvic floor physiotherapist, is going to be joining me tonight to talk about that very important subject, how Moms need more support easing back into exercise after birth. Also going to be talking with a psychic and a spiritual mentor and a life coach. Her name is Maxine Friend. She joins me tonight, and we're going to be talking um, all about the, those experiences um, and who might be guiding you from up above, from the other side. Um, also going to be talking about uh, living true to yourself. 
living uh, true, especially as it relates to your own sexuality. And there is a research study about teen suicide that I would like to talk to you about tonight, and I will. Got some healthy bits for you as well. Why it's important to refrigerate your NuvaRing. Maybe you don't even know what a NuvaRing is. I'm going to tell you. And also want to report on a couple of physicians in the country who have been misbehaving and suspended. So you know what? When people do not behave honorably or they are not aligning with do no harm, uh, it's important that we talk about that and that if you're uncomfortable with uh, something your physician says or does, it's always a good idea to go and speak to them about that. Then we have the little Lady Bits segment of the program, and it's going to be talking about women who stray and what masturbation has to do with marriage. Does it have anything to do? Okay, I've let the cat out of the bag. Married people masturbate. Okay, you have put the children to bed, I hope. Um, So I also have um, an email related to that as well uh, from a woman who strayed. And she wanted my advice as to whether or not she should email this note that she crafted. Anyway, you'll hear my response later. You know me, never one to mince words. I told it like it was. Also going to be talking about a vaginal health study. And this was very interesting. I am not surprised at the results of it. A lot of women, about 70 to 80 percent experience vaginal dryness. And it's such an uncomfortable word that um, vaginal dryness is such an uncomfortable word that they changed the name of this illness, disease condition, I should say. It's not really an illness. It's a condition to genitourinary syndrome of menopause, or GSM, because they did call it vaginal atrophy. And like both of those, they're like the two, well, two of the three worst words in the English dictionary, the third being gynecologist. So um, anyway, don't worry, the condition has been changed. But I'm going to talk to you about that tonight and some of the results of this particular study, which may not have been too robust. Um, Also, uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, it is associated with wartime or after the war. Um, Recently, I'm sure you've heard about the uh, girl in West Vancouver who took her parents' credit card and then she rented an Airbnb and then she had a party and the house was trashed. And my comment for that is that war is actually easier than raising a West Van daughter. Anyway, (laughs) nonetheless, that can be traumatic as well, raising these children and what they do. Oh, my gosh. That is you can get post-traumatic stress disorder as a parent. (laughs) Believe you me. And so anyway, um, but that's not necessarily I've spoken with a number of patients in my clinical practice recently, and they've told me about their PTSD that has from many, many, many years ago. And I want to share a story about a woman who had PTSD after the birth of her baby from 45 years ago. So, and and what she did to try and help her, her with that. And uh, then I'll carry on and talk to you about the emails and that sort of thing. So anyway, uh, if you have any questions at all, you can always give us a call, any me or any of my guests, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell, or you can email me at nursetalk at hotmail.com. And uh, when I come back, we're going to be talking with Tamara Narrator. She is a pelvic floor physiotherapist, and she knows a thing or two about exercising after a baby. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. It is always my pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much for being here 
with me. We're talking about some evidence that suggests nearly half of new mothers who were meeting recommended levels of physical activity prior to their pregnancy reduced their activity to below recommended levels within the year following childbirths, following childbirth. And Tamara Narrator joins me on the line. She's a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Hello, Tamara. Hi there. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. So thanks for joining me on the program. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, So this article struck your uh, struck a chord with you and and me as well. Um, this is very important information, and it's probably something that uh, we see in everyday life. But there was a survey that was done of thirty women out at UBC by Sarah Leva, um, asking women about their pre and postnatal exercise. That's right. Yeah, and I think it's a really important conversation to begin because um, it seems that we're quite behind in the importance of care in pre- and postnatal patients and um, just, you know, and how how we can support women in, in these different stages of life. And, and um, I liked the article because it was very progressive in the sense that it was identifying some really important factors that sort of, I guess, block women from being able to um, have access to um, exercise and, and a network that can support them in this. But... Uh, the other aspect was that there were a number of things that were, you know, missed in that as well. Like, of course, um, you know, the importance of postpartum care in, you know, I mean, how do women know when they should be getting back into exercise? How do they know that their bodies are ready and so on and so forth? So, so I mean, to start the conversation, it was fantastic to see the article. But at the same time, I think there were a number of things that were missed that need to be talked about as well. Now, uh, 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous exercise per week is one of the recommendations um, for activity or moving every day, 30 minutes of walking, at least walking a day, something like that. There's lots of different recommendations, getting your heart rate up above 120 beats per minute um, for 15 to 20 minutes. Um, And so after a woman has a baby, there may be a number of issues that may prevent her from getting exercise. And and you and I both deal with those issues. Uh, One of them may be um, time, number one. So this just complete over-dedication, and and, I say that loosely, dedication to the baby, not realizing the self-care. Then there's... There's also um, PTSD after a labor. I had a woman in my clinical practice this week telling me about PTSD that she has been suffering for 40 years with this PTSD from the birth. And a lot of women need to speak about their labor and delivery afterward. And we don't do that enough in nope. <laughs> on the postpartum wards. And then the other thing, which you're expert in, is many women may experience vaginal laxity, leakage of urine, prolapse, pelvic organ prolapse, so the bladder may fall down, the uterus may fall down. The rectum may pouch out, um, yeah. and so all of these will impact her ability to exercise. Exactly, and unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of women that have been coming through practice that I've seen, especially in the last little while, that have made me um, feel like I need to be even a stronger advocate. Is is the you know the long pushing times and the surgical deliveries, so forceps and vacuum, and these women aren't educated about and so they don't know the impact long-term that these may have on their body. And, you know, they may feel okay after, you know, a number of days postpartum. 
And then they start to begin to notice symptoms as soon as they start to exercise. And they may see their doctor and and the conversation may be had that, oh, well, you know, you've had a baby and that's okay that you leak occasionally, but, but it's actually not normal. Or, for example, you know, they have numerous symptoms like painful intercourse and leakage and heaviness and and so it gets quite overwhelming at this point and then to try to add in exercise on top of that and be healthy which is what they essentially want to do makes it even more overwhelming for them and they they don't know where to turn and and the conversation is still so young and and um the access to care is is relatively limited in a sense because it can be quite expensive to go and see a specialist or a physio or someone that's you know that can help them so that's um, right. You know. It's covered in other countries. It's not covered it here. Yeah. And they do a lot of more um, antepartum or uh, pre-pregnancy right. education yeah. of the pelvic floor in England, for example. Um, physical yeah. activity is so important because physical inactivity is the main cause of about 25% of breast and colon cancers and diabetes and a third of heart disease, which is the number one killer for women. I also want to talk about birth plans. So many women go in and they say, I want to have a natural delivery. And, and I think yeah. you were uh, referring to that earlier. And yeah. of course, I wanted all the drugs that were possibly available to me. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, many yeah. women go in with this birth plan and they feel like they're a failure if they exactly. have not adhered to, um, you know, having had a vaginal delivery, if they, if they convert over um, to a yeah. necessary C-section. So that can put a lot of pressure on women postpartum and especially if they're perfectionist, which is yeah. another uh, risk factor for postpartum depression as well. Exactly. And I think that the part of the part of the issue is that we have to change the conversation around natural and start to talk about just birth in general because there's so many ways different ways to birth and mm-hmm. they can all be very successful and the outcome can be wonderful. And, you know, if if we start to change the conversation around that and we start to educate and empower women that, you know, there's just a different ways to birth and, and there are different outcomes and then, you know, um, Maybe the trauma will change. I've just seen so many traumatic situations in the last number of months that, you know, and, and so it makes me realize and see how much postpartum depression is significant in these cases and, and you know, with the stress and whatnot that women undergo with these traumatic situations, how they then possibly can't breastfeed and how that even increases more stress because a lot of women think, okay, well, you know, if I can get through the delivery and I can just breastfeed, that'd be good. And and so they feel like they're feeling on many levels. And, you know, sometimes I may be the first person, and as you may have experienced, the first person they come across that starts to give them, um, you know, answers to their questions and and even just support and talk. They, They, you know, it allows them to talk and be heard. And so I think that that in itself has, spoken to me and made me realize how important it is that we start to become more open about these conversations with women. They get to know and become educated about these things prior to delivery, for example. For sure. And, you know, when you make a great point about talking because that helps to release the pain and process the pain and process what Mm -hmm. a woman has gone through Uh, because it is a a pretty significant life event. Something I don't want to forget to um, add either is... um, is vaginal dryness, which affects women yeah. because of the hormonal shifts. And the hormonal shifts for before pregnancy, uh, I mean, during pregnancy, after pregnancy, breastfeeding, um, postpartum time, 
you know, can lead to vaginal dryness and can also lead to um, problems with mood and, and um, you know, difficulty or, or being short or, um, you know, lot, hormones can have a, a big effect on women at this time. And a lot of women don't realize that um, the breastfeeding and the hormones are contributing to their vaginal dryness, which may lead to painful sex. I actually had a guy email me recently and he said, um, when can, you know, he was from uh, outside of Canada. He wasn't from, <laughs> and he said, when can my wife have sex again? She had a baby four weeks ago. I'm, I'm loath to answer that question for him yeah. because <laughs> I really am like a year. Yeah. <laughs> Leave her alone for a year. Uh, no, but, <laughs> so, but six weeks is kind of the the time, you know, that's the, the accepted notion. Yeah. Um, but it's not for every woman, you know, no. and may, many women may have persistent vaginal dryness and uh, I think long that after that. And I think the conversation back to exercise too, because, you know, it, everybody puts this benchmark of six weeks on it, like even the doctors, then, you know, you get the six weeks follow up and, you know, you go in and you have this quick rushed assessment and then the rest is about the baby. And I understand that the baby is the utmost importance as well, but you know, if the mom's not functioning well, the baby's not going to, to benefit. And I think that, you know, six weeks is not for everyone. That's at right. All. No, it's and, not. And, you know, I have many patients who have still not recovered a year later, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you need to help educate them in a system to understand that it's okay and that, you know, there are other ways to have intercourse or other ways to exercise or other ways to you know, manage that part of their life and Absolutely. still be successful in Absolutely. That. Well, and Tamara, so, we've got to go to break. We've got to go to the yeah. news. Thank you so much. It's great information. Yeah. We will continue this conversation and hopefully make moms' lives better. I am Maureen McGrath, and yeah. you are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. God. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. I wanted to talk to you about a very important subject, um, a a study that came across my desk, because there is a significant increase in teen suicide across the United States. And teens who hide their true sexual orientation are at higher risk for suicidal behaviors. This, according to a new study in the American Journal of Preventive Medicine. Frankie Chenna, an international speech and debate coach, owner of FDT Academy and singer and TV host, joins me on the line. He's going to share his personal story with hiding his sexuality. Good evening, Frankie. Hi, Maureen. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm great. I'm in Boston right now at Harvard University. Wow, my hometown. (laughs) I went to Harvard once. (laughs) Kidding. Um, well, good. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll be seeing you soon. <laughs> I'm headed there myself yeah. shortly. Yeah. We'll, we'll pass in the sky, I think. Oh, I think so. Yeah. All right. Well, safe travels. Um, listen, thanks so much for joining me tonight and on such short notice, but this is such an important study that focused on teens who either identified as gay or lesbian, but had sexual contact with only the opposite sex or with both sexes or, or who identified as heterosexual, but had sexual contact with only the same sex or with both sexes. These teens experienced what researchers have deter- called sexual orientation 
discordance. And these teens have a significantly elevated risk for suicide. They surveyed 7,000 high school students across the U.S. asking 99 questions about health and risk behaviors. And two of the questions focused on sexual orientation. About 4% of the teens had experienced this sexual orientation discordance responses uh, demonstrated. And this was true for 32% of gay and lesbian students compared to 3% of heterosexual students. So these students were not allowed to express their sexuality or they were, there was a mismatch between their sexual identities and their actions. And of those, 46% of those who experienced sexual orientation discordance reported suicidal thoughts or behaviors compared to 22% of students who didn't feel a mismatch between their sexual identities and actions. This is important information. And I, we, and it's good that we know this so that we can understand and talk to teens about this sexual orientation discordance. But you recently came out and um, you had lived with this um, sexual orientation discordance for a number of years. Yeah, I mean, b- before speaking to my personal experience, I'll speak to, you know, the fact that I work with young people each and every day, and I can, of course, see how um, struggling with your identity and struggling with either accepting it or sharing that, sharing the people that you love, would be very difficult and would lead to uh, a higher chance of suicide, a higher chance of self-dissatisfaction, um, stress, anxiety, and, and all of that. So, I mean, the studies are, are very real, and, and I see it, um, you know, I see it every day. Yeah, so they behave differently. They behave heter- in, in heterosexual manners, um, you know, because they're trying to hide their sexual identities. Mm-hmm. And so this, as you say, can lead to secrecy and shame and embarrassment, and people can go inward and can feel... Uh, negatively about themselves or feel down or feel less or feel that they're not accepted, especially within their peer group, which is such an important developmental time of life. Mm-hmm. No, ab- absolutely. And I guess as someone that identifies as pansexual or bisexual or, or liking, you know, all genders, all people, um, luckily I didn't personally find the struggle in this area. I didn't find uh, the struggle with my identity or with feeling I wanted to, to hurt myself or harm myself. I think with, with me, it was more um, on a how would I be perceived perspective. What would people think? What would I be, you know, judged for? Um, so, so definitely I can also relate to the struggles just in a slightly different way than maybe, you know, the study that you were looking to. Of course. And those are lead-up uh, thoughts and ideas that, you know, may lead to depression, drug and alcohol use for some, and then ultimately suicidal ideation for a significant percentage in this study. So even the fact that, you know, how will I be judged? You know, society judges so harshly. Um, and so even to worry about that as, as a teenager, and, and when did that type of thing, when did you begin to worry about that type of thing? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm 26 now. You know, I, I posted a video kind of sharing my story um, viewed by over 50,000 people around the world just this year. Um, I guess it's, it's hard to pinpoint a moment. I know for me, I was made fun of for, for seeming or being gay ever since I was in elementary school. And when I, at the time, that was used as a way, a weapon. It was used to hurt someone, to make them seem as a victim, um, to bully them. So because the word gay 
was associated with such a negative thing, how could I have ever identified as that? Because it was so wrong and bad and I was, I was victimized for that trait. So I avoided associating myself with that trait. Have we not progressed further than this? I mean, maybe the U.S. hasn't, but it does. It seems to me mm-hmm. that in high school, the kids are the most accepting of their peers, regardless of their sexuality. I think I would. I, I believe we have progressed, and I believe that that is seen in the fact that when I posted my video, I received nothing but positive feedback. I received nothing from but positive feedback from my family, my friends, my students, and um, my fans and the people around the world that watch my video. So I think we're in a very good place in Vancouver, um, in Canada, and in most, you know, Western liberal democracies. But it took you till 26, the age of 26 to come out. Yeah, yeah. And and what, what um, the, you know, some might say that's kind of late. I mean, I'm not making any judgments here. <laughs> I'm not yeah. judging you, but why? What the yeah. hell took you so long? I'm kidding. Uh- <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I think it's um, it's there's many reasons, but I think number one, when I was 13, I didn't live in this progressive society. 13 years ago, it was not as progressive, so that's the first thing. But second of all, I think that um, uh, what was my second reason? Uh, yeah, basically, uh, the urges, you know, they they come out very strongly, and you can't. You can't hide your identity forever. And right. in the end, something has to give. And the fact that I wanted to maybe be with a guy or be with not a girl, um, it, it became too strong to keep hidden. And But you have had girlfriends all along. That's... Yeah, I had very healthy sexual relationships with women um, all along. And I, I wouldn't, like, that's why I say I'm pansexual or bisexual, because like, I, I know that those were real relationships on an emotional and romantic level. And then did you just meet a man and felt stronger toward him? Kind of. I mean, it was something that was in the back of my mind since a young age. The fact that maybe I'm attracted to the male physique, maybe I'm attracted to the male vibe. Um, It was always in the back of my head, but I think that my ability to control my emotions is above most people, and my ability to control my urges is above most people. You know, I'm very good at dieting. I'm very good at being strict with my work ethic. I think I was very good at being strict with this as well. Um, up until a certain point where I thought, ah, it's time to just like explore and it's time to see what this has to offer. And then I was with guys and girls actually for a period of time um, before where I am right now, which is currently with, um, with a, a guy. And, and did ultimately your happiness win out? Went up would you went say? Out? Win out. Would you say? Oh. Because I think... Correct me if I'm wrong, but you were there. Were there must have been some level of fear to come out because you didn't want to be identified with that that gay that term gay, which was you know not accepted when you were a, a young child, a younger yeah. child, and so there was some fear in in coming out. Um, but ultimately, did you say this is my life? This is about me. I really don't care what anybody else thinks. I am yeah. Teflon. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yes. I am Teflon too. <laughs> no, I have skin as I'm a woman. I have to have skin as thick as a rhinoceros. Um, yes. And and how do you feel now that you have come out and you're living true to yourself? And and what would you say to those teenagers, perhaps, or, or kids um, who feel that they're they are gay and or that they are pansexual or that they are in the wrong body? What would you say to them? Um, like, do you feel I you lost think- out on anything in those years where you weren't? fully true to yourself? Um, 
You know, I think my typical, my situation was more atypical. I was happy and loving life before the video and happy and loving life after the video. So I think my situation is is a bit different than most people. Mm -hmm. I think for most people, they will feel relieved. They will feel, I hope they receive the same joy and acceptance that I felt. And I hope that my story and their stories can be the impetus to making sure that we live in a society and in a world where this is normal, this is accepted, this is celebrated. And that is something I think we are moving towards very much so. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your coming on the air and sharing your story. I think it's um, very important for not only teens uh, to hear, but also or adolescents or anyone struggling with their sexual identity. I actually know somebody who's about 41 or two years old, and uh, he is still in the closet. And it's in part because his family is constantly saying to him, when are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? A woman, of course. Um, And, you know, he's in the closet. He's a gay man. He's had um, multiple relationships with men. And but he has to hide this. And it comes out in so many other domains of his life, his misery and his unhappiness. But his family could never accept the fact, and in particular, in his culture, they could never accept the fact that he is gay. And and he, you know, may never come out or, you know, um, because it's not just his parents who are the ones who are putting pressure on him to marry, but it's, it's you know, siblings and uh, friends and of the family and uncles and, you know, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so many yeah. people are not fortunate enough to live true to their sexuality, um, mm-hmm. you know, at, at, at when they should. Yeah. And I don't no, like I'm to totally use the word should. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, well, good for you. Thanks so much for sharing your story. I'm sure it's helped uh, a number of people, even if it's just one. That's fantastic. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, thanks for coming on the on the Sunday Night Health Show, Frankie. Always appreciate it. Thank you, Maureen. You're welcome. Take care and safe travels. Bye-bye. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. Uh, we're coming out of the broom closet now. That's the term that a lot of psychics use because there's actually a little bit of shame an embarrassing embarrassment to let other people know that you're psychic. Now, I have absolutely zero psychic ability, uh, which is uh, most unfortunate, especially since I can't predict my own life. But fortunately, Maxine Friend has psychic ability. Maxine Friend is an internationally acclaimed psychic channel that has been practicing professionally for over 10 years. Her clientele spans all over the world, from Europe to Dubai to Thailand to the U.S. She's been prominently featured in multiple television shows, podcasts, and magazines. She mentors other developing psychics and is about to develop her first debut, sorry, her first online signature program in order to better assist her clients. She's also a certified life coach with the Life Coaches Federation, and she is the creator of the Healthy Soul Project. Welcome to the studio, Maxine. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. This is fantastic. So tell me, uh, what exactly is a psychic? And were you embarrassed we can maybe to come out and let do you, you know, do people kind of look at you a little cross-eyed? Oh, you're a psychic? Oh, really? Can you tell me if this relationship is going to last or not? You know, there's been a real, um, I've noticed a real evolution in the last 10 years. I've been uh, practicing as a professional psychic for the last 10 years. And at the beginning, it's very intimidating once you announce to the public, especially when you're working corporately like I was, Mm -hmm. that you are, in fact, a professional psychic. And once that's out there, there's a lot of stigma, like a lot of stigma associated with 
identifying yourself as a psychic. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. It's it's something that when you say it, you know, people immediately imagine a crystal ball with a set of tarot cards, dark lights, and that maybe you wear a turban over your head and have black fingernails or mm -hmm. whatever the stereotype is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Deck of cards and also, um, you know, the, you know, the meaning of Mercury is in retrograde, which I haven't got a clue what that means, but I've heard that repeatedly this year. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not an astrologer, but, um, you know, what, what goes on in the heavens is interesting because it's all associated with energy at the end of the day. And, you know, being a psychic, I'm, I personally believe that we are all psychic. So when you were mentioning, I am not psychic, um, you know, it's like saying I'm not physically fit, which may be the case, but if you went to the gym, you would become physically fit. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things that's innately in us, but it's something that you can further develop. Maybe tap into. Absolutely. Or, mm -hmm. And some people might inherently have natural God-given abilities and that they can further develop that or someone can, you know, develop their own intuitive abilities. And, and you mentor people with in this spiritual way. Uh, so this is uh, your client base. Yes, um, this is a relatively new project. Um, I've always thought to myself, who the heck am I to uh, teach people in this profession? Uh, but my passion really has been that, that because being a psychic is a completely unregulated industry. Mm -hmm. And what I was witnessing is clients coming to me, getting ripped off um, by people that, you know, say that there's bad energy around them, they want it removed, and personally was horrified at some of the things that people so called that are so called psychics that are practicing, and some of the things they were doing just to, you know, get money and scare their clients into handing over more money. And so the Healthy Soul Project was born um, kind of out of a need to not create regulation, but to hopefully mentor developing psychics, people who are experiencing things maybe they don't quite understand, and just to hopefully provide them with a container for more information and to empower them with their gifts and their abilities. Okay. So what are some of the uh, concerns that people, that some of your clients come to see you about? Are, are they interested in job prospects or relationship issues, family issues? Oh, yeah. Um, there's so much, there's such a, a wide variety uh, spectrum. The main ones are, you know, money, health, relationships, family. Um, we said health. Um, you know, a lot of personal relationships, whether they be through family, friends, mm -hmm. romantic relationships, mm -hmm. you know, everyone wants to know about their relationships. Now, a lot of people experience PTSD after they have a significant health uh, condition uh, or health scare even or major surgery or, or hospitalization. Uh, do they would they come to you uh, to deal with that type of thing after they, you know, if they're going through chemotherapy or something like that to look forward to see if they are actually what their future holds? Yeah, there's a lot of people that will come to a psychic that maybe have never considered it before because they're either desperate or they're looking for some kind of alternative answers. So as a psychic, you have a very, you know, you have a big responsibility to sometimes, you know, you're not the right person for them. You can just relate them to resources where um, there might be someone better qualified. But if they come to you, um, you do you do your best. But I have been in situations where really the person needs, you know, access to government programs or family services mm -hmm. or 
you know, lab- to understand Canadian labor law. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe they don't need a psychic, but um, perhaps they don't trust government officials, so they come to a psychic. So sometimes it can be cultural or right. generational or what have you. Interesting. And so you utilize this psychic ability of yours to coach uh, CEOs of major corporations and mm-hmm. government officials yep. and high-level people. Yeah. Um, and so what is it that they're after? One, one would think that um, once they reach that level that they've got it all and they know, what, they know what's going on. That's always the perception with everyone. Um, but, you know, we're all dealing with something. You know, I always say to my clients that Earth is the classroom. We're just here to learn and overcome lessons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you live in a mud hut or a mansion. Ultimately, we're dealing with something. You know, you're working through your relationships, perhaps your money, perhaps you're raised in a different socioeconomic background that makes it more challenging. Um, but yes, uh, working with CEOs, doctors, lawyers, police officers, Fortune 500 company owners, and ultimately everyone seeking something different or, or looking ultimately for that satisfaction and overall happiness. And are they looking for peace of mind, would you say? I think we all are. You know, um, mm-hmm. we're just all seeking peace in different ways. Mm-hmm. And what's some of the best ways for people spiritually to gain some insight? Um, Is there something that could be applied to everybody? I think that the further we invest in ourselves and go deeper into our own truth as far as who we are as an individual. So the further we go into our identification as a as who we are as a person and what makes us happy and act on that, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously with the realism that we all have you know, bills to pay and whatnot. Um, that's sort of the best way that you can start moving forward. Exactly. And, uh, and so if you're, if you're a true witch, come out of the broom closet. But her website is MaxineFriend.com if you want to book an appointment. Thank you so much, Maxine. I am Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Health Show. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at CKNW.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.